This is December 15th, 2019, uh, last, uh, last Taisho before Christmas, and uh, kind of this will be kind of a Taisho on light and dark, but in a metaphorical sense. Um, it's the darkest time of the year, of course. The winter solstice is less than a week away, so we display lights, not just Christians, but Jews and, and others have lights of all kinds that we uh, display. It's kind of a, kind of a uh, basic response to the darkness, kind of a survival mechanism. Um, the, the darkness and the light has come to me from the recent news that uh, uh, that uh, with the election of Boris Johnson uh, and his uh, conservative party brexit is all but all but a sure thing uh, withdrawing from the uh, Great Britain withdrawing from the European Union and it's such a such a fascinating fascinating turn of events fascinating because by all accounts it's self-destructive um, what uh, it's three and a half years ago that there was this referendum with, where by a very small margin um, the British uh, elected to withdraw from the European Union. It's, it's taken that long, three and a half years, and we're not there yet, to work out how to do that. They've lost two prime ministers, and uh, the whole thing was sold, on, I'm told, on a, a lies about what what it really means, and so here we are and and then there are commentators who see this this recent uh, victory by the by the conservatives and by Boris Johnson as um, kind of a, a forecast of what will happen in our own presidential election uh, next November. What the uh, British and other um, observers have said is that the the this recent uh, resounding victory for the conservatives uh, was came out of uh, just weariness of the uncertainty of whether uh, how the, the the it would all work whether Brexit would happen. Uh, they just got fed up with this state of limbo for the past three and a half years. One commentator called it the dejection election. Um, uh, Roger Cohen, a uh, New York Times columnist who I played tennis with once, uh, <laughs> he beat me, uh, but very nice guy. Uh, he he submitted the fact that his daughter was doing meditation, um, but uh, he, he called this the Brexit weary Brexit weary British subjects, um, and referred to the post-industrial wasteland of 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 England going to Boris Johnson, and compared that to 
the blue-collar heartland of our own country, our heartland Democrats migrating to Trump uh, in the last presidential election. I ask your forgiveness in advance because this is probably way too ambitious what I'm attempting to do today. Um, I will keep it within the time limit, but uh, I'm going to try here to take a step back and see if we can understand what's going on with these two very similar uh, political movements and what, what, what's underneath them. Um, what really, really prompted this topic for me was uh, a week ago on Krista Tippett's uh, On Being. It's a Sunday morning show, marvelous show where she interviews various people in religion and and the arts and poetry and other things and. She had on the uh, the first woman president of the Union Theological Seminary in its long history. Uh, the woman's name, her first name, I remember, was Serene, Serene Jones, maybe. Um, anyway, she referred to what were what's happening now as a kind of reformation in this country and the world. I think she wasn't she didn't, uh, wasn't explicit about. It's just that word, Reformation. And she said, you know, during the the Reformation of the Middle Ages, Martin Luther, people didn't know they were in a Reformation mm-hmm. while it was happening. And that really stuck in my mind. That this is something big that we're going through now, really big, that maybe centuries from now, historians will point to this period of time, these last 10 years and um, forthcoming years, as a complete uh, kind of a reorganizing of things in every kind of way. (coughs) Uh, There was a, a book called Beautiful Country Burn Again by Ben Fountain, who, uh, and he describes this as the third major existential crisis in our country, the first two being the Civil War and the Great Depression, that we've reached a moment, in his words, of structural impasse. And I think it's helpful, and that's why I chose this topic, I think it's helpful to see these in big terms and not get too bogged down in the details um, much less the partisan aspect of it. <coughs> Something big is happening. There's that song from the late 60s. Uh, um, something's going on and you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? And, and, and we don't know what it is, quite. But what I thought could be useful... This, I speak from what I've gone through myself in these last two or three years, is uh, trying, to, trying to imagine, this is kind of an exercise in imagination, imagine what, how, um, how these 
big changes affect us and, and affect those whose uh, political stance uh, is different from our own. We have to do this. I mean, our political enemies, however we define them, are Buddhas. There's, there's, it's not insanity. There's some kind of intelligence behind all this. And uh, we can only benefit, I, I believe, from trying to understand it from their point of view. Um, so I'm going to try to run through some of the massive changes that have happened just in my own lifetime, or even even later, I mean, I mean, even more recently, uh, I think that the big one uh, that has to affect the whole world, not just our country, is climate change. We, we see the evidence of it everywhere, the rising sea levels, the melting ice caps, the, uh, the volcano last week that erupted in, in White Island in New Zealand, my my mind went back to something Carl Jung once said: "The earth is in tune to the dis- it, the earth is in tune with the destructive fury of mankind." There was a climatologist, as it was called at the time, a climatologist in nineteen seventies, late seventies, early eighties, uh, who said that the the really major climate climate climatic changes uh, will um, be initiated by volcanic eruptions which changes everything um, whether that remains to be so or not it's also these big changes are maybe he didn't couldn't imagine how much humans have been changing the climate So I've just scribbled a lot of notes here. I'm trying to stay somewhat organized. Uh, I, I would say a lot of this has can, can, we can see dates back to, uh, for our country at least, back to uh, uh, 9-11, uh, which I think was a terrible, terrible shock to our country, uh, leaving us feeling more vulnerable than we have in many decades. Terrorism. And then from there, the the terrible outcomes of the wars we keep getting involved in, the Vietnam War, uh, the Iraq War, um, Afghanistan. We just heard reports based on three years of, of uh, reporting, uh, reports that uh, the military officials and, and leading politicians, including our Barack Obama, knew for years and years and years that Afghanistan, the war in Afghanistan was unwinnable. What does that do to our trust in the government to hear things like that? The mass shootings that we are become almost a, a, a monthly phenomenon in the news. Our crumbling infrastructure, the the money we could 
could they could go to repairing our roads and bridges if it didn't go to military spending and starting wars that are fundamentally unwinnable. The drug and alcohol problem seems to have gotten worse than ever. The uh, the deaths, the overdoses, the opioid crisis, and re- un- not unrelated to that is gambling. How that's how prevalent gambling has become, and then just the sense of danger to our children, and in, in terms of sexual abuse. When I was a kid, I wouldn't have even ever cons- I never heard of any such thing. I never considered such a thing. It was beyond my imagination that adults could do things like that to children. Now we have this loss of innocence where parents have to warn their children of these things. What does that do to one's trust in the world? Technology, entertainment. Uh, With technology, this huge issue of privacy, what's public, what's private, I'm personally boggled at at what young people will share now in their technology uh, with uh, nude pictures. And uh, yeah, I hear the response from them, oh yeah, get over it, it's just what people do. Okay, I'm trying to get over it, but it's hard. I can't imagine that. When, when, when I was a kid, uh, we had three or four television stations and, and, and with limited to those, it was a, had a unifying effect on people. Uh, and now we see this massive splintering into cable channels and other platforms. Same with, with music. Uh, now it's, you can't even buy CDs practically, I'm told. DVDs are on their way out because of, of streaming, Spotify. People have become afraid to talk to one another. I guess that would be what would happen if you, you spend uh, your young life uh, glued to a screen. You, you, you can't you don't know how to relate to people face to face. And this is personally a great sorrow to me because as I've gotten older, I've, I've enjoyed talking to strangers more, uh, wherever, supermarkets or any other place, just striking up a conversation. And, uh, that's off the table when someone has earbuds in. People are becoming more and more isolated. including with our sources of news, what, what now are called the silos, where people, liberals, conservatives, have our own news sources and there's no exchange. Um, mistrust in institutions. Uh, the Catholic Church has taken a terrible beating in recent decades. And not just the Catholic Church, but religious leaders across the board practically 
Catholic priests, Buddhist monks, uh, in our own tradition, Tibetan Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, uh, role models of all kinds, uh, public figures, politicians, uh, even Supreme Court justices, Brett Kavanaugh, I think of, celebrities, comedians, America's father, Bill Cosby, and sports heroes in basketball, football, cycling, Lance Armstrong, the whole doping um, scandal in, in there and Olympics and think of, uh, in, the, in the course of preparing this Taisho, I've thought of the accounts that I've read from in Taisho from uh, ancient China and Japan, uh, the terrible civil wars that were, were happening there, um, that Zen was practiced uh, with the backdrop of this ever-present danger and, and absence of rule of law. This is something that uh, can really be helpful, just to, to read some history and see, um, to be able to get a broader perspective of our own age as compared to, our own age and our own culture as compared to other centuries and other cultures. There was no rule of law as we know it in uh, China during the great days of of Chan, Zen. In Japan, the similar, it's the emperors, these emperors who had absolute power. Some more things. Uh, the trend of globalization, international trade, um, economic liberalism, uh, is sort of the, the the thesis of recent decades since World War II, maybe, um, a more liberalization and more integration uh, in the world among among countries, multilateralism. The antithesis to that now is this greater greater popularity, economic nationalism, America first, protectionism, national interests, tariffs. And economic globalization has itself had such an effect, such an impact on our work, on, on our relationship to work. Um, that and automation, of course, the consolidation of big, huge companies, these things have uh, caused widespread uh, Reactions and sense of, of upheaval in people's minds and uh, been a, a, a key factor in the uh, reactionary forces uh, at work now in our society. So much of, of uh, what we're seeing now is seems to be a reaction to things, things moving too fast. This is what uh, President Obama commented somewhere that after he after he went back to private life that uh, 
the change was just happening faster than a majority of people could assimilate it. It it just went too fast. Certainly, we can see that as having some validity, that that diagnosis in terms of the culture wars, um, normalization of homosexuality and and uh, the whole LGBT freedoms and uh, equality, same-sex marriage, um, the uh, unlimited accessibility of pornography, female empowerment, wonderful. Finally, to some degree, Me Too movement. To many people, many people in this country and maybe in the world, don't know, uh, this is just threatening. It's too much. They can't absorb this. They can't, there's a reaction to this. Women in the military. Abortion, pro-choice. Now, Roe versus Wade is under threat. Uh, that that Roe versus Wade, the, the woman's right to decide for herself whether to have an abortion. Now, uh, you see this growing power of the anti-choice. I'm not calling it pro-life anti-choice movement, which is really a, a, a seeding to the government, control over women's bodies. I don't think it helps at all to get into whether these things are, are, are good or bad. That's, that's not the level I want to address this at. It's, it's happening. It's happening. And again, if we could just sympathize or try to understand, empathize with people who find these changes threatening. And then the the great the great destructive effects of social media, uh, the uh, one one uh, observer said that their entire the, the social media behemoths their their entire business model relies on generating more engagement. Okay, good, but but what drives more engagement is lies, fear, and outrage. A lot of, a lot of what I'm trying to get at is just the, the what must be, is a very broad sense of, of not just change, okay, change, but loss, loss of decency, by our our leaders and the way they talk, loss of humanity. Look at what's happening on the southern border with, with children and other immigrants. I heard a couple of days ago that uh, now the the uh, Department of Homeland Security, I think, whatever it is, the government agency responsible for the care of these immigrants, uh, refuses to give them flu vaccines. 
not because they're against vaccines, they sus- they're suspicious of vaccines. Uh, and, and these are terribly unhygienic conditions. And immigration in general as a, as a great dividing line, a great source of division where uh, it seems half the population uh, resents now, resents immigration uh, and causes this reaction to it uh, as a kind of an all or nothing thing. And then for others, uh, it is experienced as a loss that we no longer can seem to live up to the words at the base of the Statue of Liberty where we welcome, we want to welcome refugees and recognizing the contribution they can make uh, to our to our country. Uh, it's, a, it's such a source of, of uh, pain, uh, this division. Arguably, the, 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 the single biggest division today, politically, is uh, rejecting our fear of immigrants uh, on the one hand or uh, sympathy for uh, what they're going through, their shabby treatment. government we we have assumed for for centuries some measure of balance among the three branches of government some checks and balances but we many of us feel more than ever that uh that uh, the executive branch is getting way way too powerful and empowering the judiciary uh, to uh, be more partisan in, in, in terms of the world, more more widely, uh, the threat to uh, independent judiciaries and to journalists. Terrible, terrible things that are happening. The jailing, imprisonment, of, and, and assassinations of journalists for trying to report on things. Capitalism has probably been an assumption by a majority of Americans for for decades, and now that is under question, as it should be. Uh, The more predatory forms of it, government regulation, uh, sort of what was happening for more and more, under previous administrations, and now it's opposite, the deregulation uh, of, of consumer protection laws and banking and the environmental laws. It's been a, become a joke, what's happening in the EPA. Civil rights legislation, civil rights, seemed so promising in the 1960s with the Civil Rights Act. And even that now, is there's signs of threat I think when President Obama said that change moved too fast, I think from columns I've read that that some of this racism is a reaction to a black president, a black man being elected president. 
And then the the liberalism and with a capital L, the liberal understanding that of scientific, objectifiably verifiable knowledge now has been completely under threat. It's been common to refer to this post-fact world we live in, where opinion replaces facts. This is widespread. People don't distinguish between opinions and facts. If they believe it, that's all that matters. I have here that now recently uh, the NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, finally came around, was bullied into confirming that Hurricane Dorian was a threat to Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) It's all you can do is laugh at these things, otherwise you cry and shoot yourself. There's a novel from the 1960s called The Tunnel by a William Gass, G-A-S-S, and it was reviewed in the New York Times book review not long ago. Uh, The person who reviewed it, Alec Nevala Lee, uh, came out and said that it predicted Trump's America. The main character of this novel uh, concludes that violence is an eruption of disappointment, and this main character connects this to a distinctly American bitterness caused by an implicit promise broken, the social contract itself, which deprives its victims of the happiness that they had seen as an inalienable right. Yeah, this is enshrined, this inalienable right, of course, is enshrined in our Declaration of Independence, and it's a tall order to live up to it. And it really uh, cuts against the first of the Four Noble Truths that suffering is pervasive. Uh, the author of the novel, uh, this gas, later in an interview suggested that this sense of betrayal, this disappointment, leads to a radical strain of politics. He said, Fascism is a tyranny which enshrines the values of the lower middle class, even though the lower middle class doesn't get to rule. It just gets to feel satisfied that the world is well run. It likes symbols of authority, and it likes to dress up. It likes patriotic parades. Uh, The reviewer of the book uh, says that in in the novel's most prophetic passages, the main character, I won't say the name because there's enough names here, the main character fantasizes about forming a movement called the Party of the Disappointed People. He draws pictures of its insignia and merchandise, including special caps. I'm quoting here from the novel and explains, What the other parties avoid, we shall embrace. We shall be the ones with the handshakes, like the Shriners, the symbols, the slogans, as if we were selling something, the shirts, the salutes, and the flags. 
By definition, its constituents feel disenfranchised by life, so they need powerful collaborators. If we were to recover a bit of pride, we might be able to make ourselves into harassing gangs. So we shall make our pitch to the huddled elites, the ins who are on the outs. Here's some other things from this, his book. Um, fascism is a, is a tyranny, and fascism is, uh, seems to be on the rise throughout the world. Fascism is, fascism is a tyranny which enshrines the values of the lower middle class, even though the lower middle class doesn't get to rule. It just gets to feel satisfied that the world is well run. It likes symbols of authority, and it likes to dress up. It likes patriotic parades. He says that uh, uh, it will come a time when a public figure arises to amplify the anger of the, the disenfranchised he says, what a, what a pool of energy awaits the right voice. And now the hero comes, the trumpet of his people. And his voice is enlarged like a movie's lion. He roars. He screams so well for everyone. His tantrums tame a people. He is the son of God, if God is resentment. And God is resentment, a, a pharaoh for the disappointed people. This author also anticipated the role of the media. TV faces and their blatant lies are now our leaders. And he contemplates the shape of such a man's life. The favorite modern bad guys become villains by serving as heroes first to millions. It is now a necessary apprenticeship. And speaking of autocratic populism, look at how many countries in recent years have been taken over by strongmen, authoritarian heads of state using, misusing their office to ride roughshod over civil liberties and other freedoms we've come to expect in governments that are nominally democratic this is in Europe, it's in South America, as well as our own country. These developments challenge one of our most cherished assumptions that, that historical change leads to progress. It's an idea that we have to discard. And this isn't just in politics, but in economics. They say that for the first time in generations, American parents no longer believe that their children will be better off than they were. I didn't even say the name. Yeah, the, the name is uh, the party of the disappointed people. So my intention in cataloging all of these 
problems is not to uh, bum everyone out, um, but to to then go beyond it, to 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 acknowledge that we're in a very trying, very trying period in our history, world history. And if we could step back and see this as something way bigger than than any one of us, um, and 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 to recognize that where our faith should lie. Um, in my last Tay show, where I talked, to, I was on the Jukai Saturday talked about uh, the three treasures, uh, which is, is a way of saying we place we pl- that we place our faith in Buddha nature, the Dharma, the Sangha, uh, rather than placing our faith in, faith in things of the world. So if, if we can use these very distressing news, very frightening, turn of events in not just our own country but throughout the world, um, if it would help us redirect our faith from the world of change, the, the world of phenomena, uh, it could be a very, a very useful thing. Rather than going into a kind of uh, psychic fetal tuck where uh, we just want to withdraw from it all and uh, go back to uh, the 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 kind of elemental raw longings of national identity. These things, I think, those who worry about uh, uh, ignoring these things are, are onto something that. Uh, so the reason and rational arguments only go so far, and we're seeing evidence that throughout the world and this country that these longings of national identity uh, have to be contended with, have to be recognized and addressed. It's nostalgia. There it is again, the fear of change, the wanting to go back. Why couldn't things be such and such the old way? The power of conditioning. We are so conditioned. Uh, and that then when we get shaken out of that, it becomes frightening. We can't go back. We can't go back. This is what is. And our job as, as practicing Zen as Zen practitioners, is to come to terms with it, to to ride the process, and we we learn that in zazen. We what do we go through? We go through change. This is, is above all, zazen enables us to learn how to deal with change. We go through ups and downs in our sitting, especially in sashin. It becomes so so uh, condensed there, so concentrated where in a short, short periods of time we can go through all kinds of states of mind uh, and we come to learn that it all passes. And personally, I'm finding that 
uh, it can be helpful to to read less news and more history. Last summer on vacation, uh, I took a big old book. I could hardly lift it. It was uh, uh, Jill Lepore's uh, These Truths. It was a, it was a history of, the, of uh, uh, this country. Uh, I only got a quarter of the way through it. It's 800 and some pages, um, but I haven't given up. And, and it did, it was reassuring to know, to, to be reminded uh, of what we've been through in this country. Terrible things, partisan violence, and just terrible, not to mention slavery and, and, and everything and our the way we have made some progress in coming to terms with that horrible legacy we have a long way to go, but how much worse it used to be. Just saw recently saw a, a documentary about the Reconstruction Era and was just humbled by how little I knew about how the Emancipation Proclamation was all fine and well, but then it took forever to bring, especially to bring the South along to come into to some kind of compliance with it. I mean, even as far as the 60s with the Civil Rights Act, there was enormous resistance in, in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, to uh, equality. Things move slowly. You have to be patient and just keep keep sitting. This is the ground of it all. This is what enables us to respond to problems, uh, to divisions, out of a, a sense of the underlying unity of all of us. All right, our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows. Measure, I bow to penetrate 
Now to attend.